Good morning, people of the internet. You're listening to Debbie Radio's 79.5 FM, a podcast where we discuss the movie Gross Point Blank, one minute at a time. I'm your co-host, Dev Sodiger. And I'm your other co-host, Hugh David. And on today's show, we're going to be looking at Minute 28, reintroducing our favorite stakeout duo, Lodner and McCullers, and once again, the delightful Debbie. Joining us today on the show, we and all this week, we have Aaron Neweth of Out Now Podcast with Aaron and Abe, as well as a writer at We Live Entertainment. Welcome back. Happy to be back. Here we go. Excellent. Excellent. So, uh, Dev, once again, we are doing one of those minutes that makes me go, is this really his favorite movie? But uh, and, but Aaron, you said it's your one of your all-time faves as well. And it is that funny thing when we do this sort of format, minute by minute, and there's going to be minutes that are just a little bit quieter, a little bit calmer, um, that don't represent necessarily what the whole film uh, is about. But nevertheless, what we do have here is some little neat character moments and some little uh, very neat kind of setting the scene, as it were. Um, So, Dev, do you want to talk about that further? Yeah, this is... uh, So, uh, the first opening of this minute, we obviously see uh, Lardner and McCullough's uh, kind of watching Martin as he's getting out of his car and walking across the street. Um, there's an interesting cut there where it looks like uh, McCullers is smoking, maybe. Like you mm-hmm. just see a, some smoke come out of his mouth, mm-hmm. which I, I don't know. The whole the whole scene is very, very reminiscent of like, you know, your, your standard 70s mm-hmm. procedural cop movie, right? Like mm-hmm. the two mm-hmm. detectives on the stakeout. But having that as just like a little bit of a side story is kind of amusing to me that, you know, it's mm-hmm. not the focus it's just as you said like a, a few bits of interstitial between two scenes absolutely absolutely i think the other thing for me talking about those those sorts of films i mean one thing we've we we haven't said this week but we've mentioned in previous classes is of course the whole business of the length of the original uh, assembly cut and how it's been cut down and so no un, unsurprisingly that comes across in little moments like you've just said you know where there was the smoke is you know, there is clearly a thing that has been cut, shall we say. Uh, but it's not important. As long as we know, this is the great thing about the film. The visual language is such that as long as if you spot it, you know why it's there. You haven't needed the setup. And it's just, it's that bit's not important. Um, you know, and, and, and as we were saying off air, you know, the car itself, the is, is you know, you know that how long they've been there from the stakeout from just by looking at all the rubbish piled up uh, under the windscreen, you know. I've always figured that the the most that got cut out of this movie is everything involving the NSA guys, partly because it's unnecessary um, for the most part. You get the gist of them, and that's all you really need. Um, But um, Azaria and um, Kevin Todd Freeman, like, they're so funny and their chemistry is so good together where I imagine there's probably, you know, reels of footage of them just riffing and doing yeah, all yeah. kinds of stuff and then you know they just found it in the edit you know the stuff that they you know yeah not having that's... too much but get what you need get in and out with those guys before you kind of move on so uh, but yeah it's not surprising the idea of them you know brushing their teeth eating food smoking what have you because they're on stakeouts all night i'm sure remnants of that is what we're seeing exactly as far as yeah. like just whatever matter yeah Arm- armitage said in an interview that we found from i think it was 2012 uh which is quite an in-depth one um he was saying that he uh, allowed 
for a minimum of three takes of every scene. One that was to be played absolutely straight to the, the written page. One that was to be played funny. And then one that was a go nuts. And so because of that, he when he finally came to put the assembly together, because he was aiming for 90 minutes. And Cusack had delivered him a script that was 120. And he said, no, no, you've got to rewrite this. And Cusack went away with his mates, came back. And at this point, it was now... Um, what was it? It had now become uh, 150, I think. Well, it had gone up instead of down. <laughs> so Armitage was like, just don't worry about it. We'll figure this out along the way. And he said when he finished his assembly, he had a four-hour cut. And he had to bring that down. <laughs> and he said he just had, as you say, find it in the edit. He just had to work and work and work until he got it down to the, the, the 100 plus minutes that it is now. But that that's the thing we're noticing here with this Deep Dive podcast is we are noticing... The, the 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 joins shall we say you know the, the 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 fact that there are missing pieces but you can see the intelligent choice of the director makes it clear what is missing why it's missing and why we don't need it yeah. yeah i also wonder if this is at the point when hollywood starts hardcore moving away from smoking on screen it is it is so. because by this point brosnan pierce brosnan is bond at this point and in mm. GoldenEye, he famously smacks the... In the very opening scene, he smacks the guy who's sitting on the loo having a fag and goes, filthy habit, which is literally the announcement to the entire world that after however many... Oh, I think it was five years at that point since Timothy Dalton, or seven years, and it was just the big announcement, yeah, Bond doesn't smoke anymore. Yeah. Um, and that started a wave of this sort of thing, although obviously things like Pulp Fiction then went against that. Sure. And I mean, sort of you know, those... Thing. It's yeah, some of those are filmmaking. I mean, the the you can look at the '80s and early '90s films and still see so much smoky atmosphere. Yeah. And part of that's because literal smoke machines, because Tony Scott and Ridley Scott and mm. among others are just super big on atmosphere, and they're like, let's you know, let's get this what would be a normally plain room and smoke it up. Um, <laughs> but outside of that, it's also just you know the way adults function, where it's you know there there's rooms full of people that are just literally smoking. Um, and then, yeah, you really, you really, things get cleaner uh, in the 90s, uh, and, yeah. and moving on from there. And then, yes, then it'd be to, now, now, you know, in the 2000s onward, it came to the point where in the MPA rating, it's not just, you know, it rated a PG-13 for language, it's rated PG-13 for language and smoking. It's like, yeah, 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 yeah. like I, I would agree, filthy habit, not a smoker, if that's me. But at the same time, it's like, wow, we're, we've gone really far from the adults be adulting just by the nature of them being in rooms where they would casually smoke together to now it's a warning on the label of the movie that they're smoking that yeah. could be in there. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, I mean, it, it, it's, it, I find it interesting because that 97, so I finished my teacher training in 96. We were still here in Britain. We were still, there were still counties where the schools had smoking rooms for teachers. Not many. It was already starting to close down. I trained in the north of England in Hull, and so we still had them there. But when I came south in uh, autumn of 96, back down to Surrey, to start my first proper job, they were smoking inside public buildings was banned across the whole county. Um, and so you, what you ended up with was, forget the kids trying to find a place to smoke, you used to end up with teachers. <laughs> there was one guy in the French department who used to go at break time, sit in his car, and if you wanted to join him, if he, you could go, and he would then drive the car out the school so that we could all have a cigarette and then come back in again for the end of break and then go back into school, <laughs> which was ludicrous, absolutely ludicrous. It was a horrible habit. So I'm very, very glad to have put that behind me. 
it's it's kind of funny how quickly that sea change happened i think both mm. in the us and the uk when mm. as soon as you know kind of almost as soon as hollywood makes that stance mm. you know you see also the the laws passing that make these things harder you no longer spend a night out in the pub and come back with your your clothes smoking your cigarettes smelling mm-hmm. of cigarettes and all of these things right like you know no longer smoking sections in restaurants and mm-hmm. at least you know the majority of the US and and the UK uh I, I know there are some areas of the middle of the country that that's held out for quite a while but mm. um yeah yeah, the same way that France has held out for ages here. Like the laws were passed, no one gives a damn. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> doesn't stop anything. <laughs> oh so dear! We then see Martin walk into the radio station and and straight mm-hmm. into the recording booth, which just seems so strange to me that you like the casualness of it is very funny to me. As yeah, far yeah. As, like, this is a professional radio station, <laughs> and he just like opens the door and it's like yeah. we're inside now. <laughs> yeah. Like the presumption, you know. Have you have you worked in radio, Aaron? Uh, no, I haven't. Um, I've sort of, I've I've seen, like on a college, this would make sense. And even yeah. like growth point, this is you know it's it's yeah. a little stubborn. Like it's you know the idea is that it's not the big city, so like I guess the logic makes a level of sense. But yeah, it just kind of just kind of in there all of a sudden. Well, yeah, but the thing is, if it's anything like the university, I did two and a half years on university radio originally, and, um, you know, even though you had friends and you you knew people, you didn't go do this. It is just bad form because you don't know what the mic's going to pick up. Like, that's why you have the big sign outside saying, warning on air, <laughs> you know? Yeah. He's just like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> he just does not care. Like, a certain sense of danger of the scenario. It's like, wait, people can just casually walk in on the street? Like, yeah, on the radio. <laughs> it's crazy, <laughs> you know? But the fact is that he clearly doesn't think anyone cares or listens or and he certainly doesn't think Debbie's going to, maybe he does think Debbie's going to mind. I don't know. It's There is a bit of hesitancy in him. When he does this, not a huge amount, but there's just enough hesitancy that compared to, say, the uh, frustrations and, depre- and, and and moments of depression we've seen of him earlier or the moments of confidence. Now, here's the he's, he's suddenly de-aged by about 10 years and he's like teenage boy all over again. Which is kind of like, he, like, yeah, when he goes like it is like a that's a move that him and say anything would make where he's just like, let me. Let me just let me just go in. Let me just do it. Let me just see what I can do. And even like after the scene later on, he'll berate himself and saying, "Damn it, never trust my instincts or whatever he says." You know, <laughs> like, like, yeah. like he, you know, he 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 admits to himself was like that wasn't the best play. <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, the the seeing my abandoned girlfriend while she's live on the radio maybe not my best choice in life right there. <laughs> absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Oh man! But then that's the thing. He just yeah, that's who he is. The, um, what I really love right away with this whole, at the start of the scene is when she turns around and she goes, you can hear it. There's a very, there's a very small gasp. Like yep, yep. The, it's such a nicely little bit of moment right there, which is like, like, it, it's just, you can, it's, it's, I like that. It's, it's not, it's barely registered. That's, that's what I like about it. It's just so like small, especially for her. Cause she's, you know, she's a cool customer also like that. You can see why these two would be together. They very much have a, a wavelength they operate on that's makes a lot of sense for the type of people, the type of personas that they have. It's the one 
you know, the fact that both of them are in a very vulnerable state, and that's like her react. It's just this really subtle like gasps that she has before she's like, and now the specials playing one of their songs. <laughs> like it's, yeah. it's good. <laughs> Uh, and it's also that moment where you look at the turntable and you realise that actually she's done that cardinal sin of all DJs, which is to allow dead air. You never do that. There yeah. should always be something on. Either you're talking or the music's playing or the ads are playing, but you never allow dead air. And it's just that 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 you know that gap itself emphasises everything. Um, yeah, no, it is a beautifully beautifully done scene, and 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 you know, driver just yeah owns it you know i also love the whole kind of he's in black she's in red kind of thing as well um and and the, the, you know, sort of, the sort of very simple color contrast but it's 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 it still stands out just enough within all the other lights uh i just i just I, it's nostalgic for me i just love all the hardware and from the period as well <laughs> i miss yeah. being that I, I loved being on the radio you know that i actually looking back on it now i really really enjoyed it i I don't, maybe I should have done it professionally. I don't know. I knew we were, that was the weird thing back then in England. If you did university radio, it was considered the way to get into professional radio. And so um, there was a, a national association, and the BBC would come and present awards at it. Like actual DJs would come and present it. And if you got an award, you were almost certainly going to be put on the roster of people that they'd look out for for a job later on. It was just like such a guaranteed way forward. So pe- even in the university I was in, which was not particularly mainstream. Um, people were like, oh, I might be able to turn this into a job later on. But then we did, yeah. We, I don't know. I think everyone used to tell you there was, no, there was nothing. You shouldn't do that kind of thing, right? This is not a real job. Um, I wonder how it is for her at this point, because by this point, you'd hope there was more respect for somebody doing a, being a DJ. But I guess maybe not. Maybe. Well, I mean, with her, well. with her, I mean, one of my favorite exchanges is um, uh, at the reunion where it's like Debbie Radio. Bobby Beamer, uh, yeah. but the, the uh, I mean, and even like when she first picks up for like the the impression I get is that she wasn't like a you know in high school Debbie wasn't necessarily like one of the you know, like in the cool clique like she wasn't like yep. in the popular girl clique but he was, he was certainly in the like I guess like that outcast like the people knew that they were by like reputation and by like being like I said like a cool customer like this kind of other the other like realm of things because by the time they get to yep. the reunion. And she picks up like the her like badge, the the uh, the woman inside the the thing. She's like, "Love your show." She like like in a sarcastic mm-hmm. like bitchy way. Uh, like there's clearly like a a disconnect there where she might not be like Martin, where she got out of town, but she still has a I'm better than this kind of attitude. Yeah. I think that yeah. prevails over the what I assume were the popular girls in school or whatnot. Like, yeah. And now like she's on the radio. Everybody hears her every day. She's, you know, she's cool. Like she has that yeah. kind of like thing going for her. Yeah. That, uh, you know, people, people know who she is without a, you know, she's, and, and that also makes her a suitable foil for Martin. Yeah. You know, we, we don't see a character who isn't at his level. We see the sort of person who you can completely understand the relationship they're both high status yeah yeah uh and also she reminds me of like a live action character coming out of daria you know (laughs) to to make a a time appropriate time period appropriate reference there's something about that you know real world jane lane a little bit you know that's fair yeah that that that's what i mean like that kind of realm where like they're known for being like that kind of that that part of it yeah 
Yeah, without being complete total outcasts. Yeah, they're not like you know losers or whatever. Yeah, they're not the like uh, yeah, they're not the the stoners or whatnot that are like out you know completely outside of the society of it all. They're just more of like the from the fringe that are you know commenting on everything. As far as radio things go, by the way, I had plenty of friends that did radio. Cool, um, and then were not great at it. But um, (laughs) (laughs) and meanwhile, I'm always I've always sat there being like, I could do this, and like, and you, you guys can. I'm sure tell I get told all the time I have a great voice for radio, and it's like, well, now I run a you know, a moderately successful podcast. So, like, joke's on them, I guess. <laughs> well, that's the thing, isn't it? Podcasting is the is radio now, isn't it? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I, I whenever I, you know, in school, if I if I mention radio, I do have to explain. It's like, you yeah. know, it's what podcasts used to be. You know? It's, it's but, yeah, radio on demand, or, uh, yeah, basically. I guess, pre-scheduled podcasts that you can't change or choose except to switch between stations, like TV, yeah. which also doesn't exist anymore. Well, yeah, that's the thing. I mean, you know, I because I was using, oh, God, what was it? Uh, early, a few months ago, when I was doing uh, Kennedy in the history of the year nine, so the year nines are thirteen going on fourteen, and you know the documentary material we often use in class often is is, is made by adults in you know in a situation where there is an assumption that you know what things are, and so I have I but I have to literally stop and explain to them where is this footage coming from? Why do we actually have footage of? you know, that press conference in this era, because they just think of this whole era, everything before they were born is prehistoric. <laughs> you know, it doesn't have mobile phones in it. It's prehistoric. Um, and and it's kind of interesting to have to explain that. You know, I, I quite enjoy to explain to them why there is a clip of Walter Cronkite announcing the president's death. Why is that the clip that's chosen? And why is that important uh, to be remembered rather than any other particular thing? Because to them, it's just yeah. some guy saying something. And you have to yeah. kind of fill all that in. Um, interestingly enough, I don't think this happens in the film version. The script has one nifty little line that I quite, or two little lines that I quite like, which is um, with um, when with them when they start to talk to each other. Um, uh, the way the there's a line that says uh, Martin says what I miss, and Debbie goes. It says Debbie slowly grooves into irony, her best defense. And I think that's a lovely way of describing the way the conversation goes and how it works out. And she just starts listing everything that actually changed in the town, which is fun. Um, and then the phone, the request line buzzes. Debbie, hold that thought into the phone. WRFNFM, gross point, all vinyl, all the... No, no pull jam. Call back in 10 years. <laughs> Puts the phone down. <laughs> I oh, wish that had made it to the final. Yeah, I, I wish that was in there. It's like, oh, that is so perfect to describe the, <laughs> where Gross Point is and what the kind of radio station and the listeners are. And uh, and her idea really. of having it as all eighties, all vinyl, right? It's like, yeah, 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 yeah. 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 I'm not taking requests if it's not eighties. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh dear, wonderful stuff. So yeah, maybe there are bits and pieces on the floor that could stand to be reinserted, but you know maybe not maybe not maybe it's better that it's the way it is because it's yeah the tension is is immediately palpable yeah his awkward intro stuff with uh 
uh, it, it's it's Martin. It's like, and her just really deadpan, like, I know who you are. <laughs> exactly. Like, what makes him think he's changed so much that she wouldn't know who he is? <laughs> Oh dear. You're right. That's beautiful, isn't it? Absolutely beautiful. Oh dear. So I'm just watching the bit again when she turns around again. It's just that over the shoulder shot is just because we were saying in a previous podcast about the, 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 the close up on her, on her mouth and lips and the microphone and the kind of sort of classical eroticism of that scene. But also there is something about the way she just looks over the shoulder and it, 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 it with a different hairstyle and different clothes, it would be the forties, you know, it's, yeah. it's that sh- strong female lead kind of sense of, yeah, you see what he sees, but you also see who she is as well. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's very, very nicely done. I, I also love the little touch of like, shake my hand. Cause she's like, yeah. not entirely convinced that it's a real person. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. She thinks she's well, hallucinating. He's a ghost, essentially, in his life. Like, he yeah. disappeared. <laughs> it's like, yeah. let me confirm you're alive by touching you. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's literally her first line, isn't it? After I know who you are, is, is you're not dead. <laughs> you're not dead. Let me shake your hand. Yeah. 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 Is this yeah. is this actually Patrick Swayze and Demi Moore, or is this... Yeah. And this is by the, the way... Of... Yes, I, go on. I don't, I don't think I knew, because like, 90s kid, I'm, you know, I'm not like... So IMDb for me to like constantly research or whatnot. I'd seen Minnie Driver in this and Good Goodwill Hunting. I don't yeah. think I knew that she was British for the longest time. I don't think Probably I, I, I don't not. think there was I don't think there was a reason for me to know that until no maybe like an Oscars interview with something like a red carpet interview or something at mm. some point. But like for the most part, I'm just like there's Minnie Driver who like, right. yeah. I know is like a, from these specific things. So I do find it's hard to tell when they're not cast as bad guys. It's it's very difficult yeah. to tell that the English are English when they're not cast as bad guys. That's fair. <laughs> oh, c- but considering it's to her that... that she's play, you know, she's playing, you know, like a Midwesterner here. She's playing. It's not even like super Boston and Goodwill Hunting. She's playing like a person. Uh, yeah, but like it, yeah. it just doesn't like it. Didn't it? Wouldn't occur to me to think like, oh, she's not from the states. Like that doesn't like hit me that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. She, she. Well, the thing is, she's she was born in Barbados, and I think she has that facility that uh, British expatriates have to mm. to where their their initial accent is not so British that they can't uh-huh. move. I mean, I I have the problem that I went to an international school in Switzerland, which at the time was about fifty percent American. And so at certain times I can drift into what used to be called a transatlantic accent slash mode of speech. Um, And then everything got weirded out by going to work for Texans earlier this century. And, because and, I, I actually know what the difference between y'all and all y'all is, which is <laughs> not a standard <laughs> thing to know in England. <laughs> um, yeah, it does she, she? And didn't we say there in a previous cast that she? We discovered that she also used to work in music as well. Yeah, or was that? Was I, yeah, yeah. She's a, a singer and and has a, a few albums out as well. Yeah, I think. Yeah. Um, but I think also, you know, it's it's important to highlight to viewers who aren't necessarily English. If you, you know, move to England as a, a, you know, a a high schooler or even a middle schooler and you go to a fairly decent school and you're rocking 
some kind of accent that's not received pronunciation, you're going to fix that real fast. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> um, you are going to want to fix that real fast. And I think that gives you the ability to adjust accents that much more easily because you, yes. you've kind of been pressured into it somewhat. Yeah. It, it's a little bit of um, uh, code switching, uh, as the sociologist would say. And it's, a, and it's also a little bit of what the other kids will take will treat you as in terms of what is cool and what is not and how they define it i mean you know anybody who's uh uh has a um is black american would have would not be put under that pressure here i can tell you that now <laughs> in, in the school year because that is held up as the accent that's cool uh the amount of white boys i know who busy watching gangster films and thinking i i, I just I got to share this because it's nuts. The, the history trip I organized a few weeks ago that I was on, I my mind was blown when a couple of the really annoying kids at the back who I had to discipline were asking me about, what, am I a crip or am I a blood? And I was like, how do you even know those terms? How You're 13. How do you even know what those terms mean? Like, I was your age when I first heard them. I was just like, where is this coming from? But that obsession with a certain style and culture and music and so forth has is it remained to this day in British playgrounds the kind of high watermark for cool, and I find that fascinating because I would have thought that that would have changed over time, but actually it, it comes back time and again. Um, but yeah, no, she's she, but yeah, she's um, she'd done Circle of Friends, put her on the map in movie terms. She'd done a couple of shorts before that, one of which won an Oscar. Uh, for the director, and that's where I first saw her. Um, and then Circle of Friends and GoldenEye came out the same year. And then she was in Big Night, which is a very, very underrated film. Stanley Tucci's, uh, yeah, great movie, uh, co-directing and starring, and, and Scott Campbell. Sleepers, which at the time was quite a big hit, pretty much forgotten now. I'd say I don't know anybody who like brings it up as an example of a big drama, but it had a, a hell of a cast. Barry Levinson directing, famous that, book. That's books. all it's got. Yeah, well, true, true. That's true. No, no, the it, book is better. That's true. That that's a movie that I, that when you say awards bait, that's what I I can think of. Sleep. Yeah, it's a movie that feels like it's trying to be important. It's not even like it's terrible. It's just like yeah, it exists. That's yeah. that time that they, all those guys got together and made that movie. <laughs> yeah, absolutely right, absolutely right. And then and then the next thing was Gross Point Blank and Good with Hunting back to back. You know, kind of put them, put her, really put her on the map. Those two, didn't they? Really? Yeah, well, you, you got an Oscar nomination for one of them. She's co-lead yeah, of this. Exactly. The, um, it's funny you bring up uh, Goldeneye, and you brought up that she's a singer because, like, Goldeneye. Yeah, you that, know. that's her like directly parroting the fact that for being a singer, she's like a terrible singer in Goldeneye. Oh, for, like the yeah. one scene that she's in, which is so funny. <laughs> yeah, with uh, Robbie Coltrane as the Russian agent, and it's his yeah. club, isn't it? And she's and, and, caterwauling and, and, on the side. <laughs> and Pierce, Pierce Brosnan, he's, he's like, he's like, who's strangling the cat? Strangling the cat. And he's like, <laughs> <laughs> It's such a great scene. Uh, they really made sure that everyone in that film got a moment, didn't they? Yeah. Martin Martin um, Campbell. It's one of those interesting things. People don't think of him as a, as an author. They think of him as a a jobbing director. But the fact is that you know there are certain things that he always does, and one of the things he always does is make sure that even the smallest roles, every person has a moment. You know that you will remember them from. It's, it's a very nifty thing he does. 
I would I would do a minute of a minute on Goldeneye in a heartbeat. Honestly. Oh, okay, <laughs> okay. I would I would be down for that. I would absolutely be down for that. I could crush a minute of a minute on Goldeneye. Oh, mate, last I have last so much of... to bring to it. I have you the and, game yeah. in mind all the time. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I the game, all of the. <laughs> yeah, all of the things that they changed and didn't change from the experience of Last of the Kill. You've got um, the special effects, the bringing in of CGI. Last ever film, Derek Meddings, the great British special effects genius ever did. The model work. Um, God, yes. Ah, oh, right. There you go, Dev. We've got another one coming up. <laughs> in the books. <laughs> Let's get that one on the list. Uh, yeah, no, seriously, I would love to do that. That would be... Of all the Bonds, I think that's possibly... The most interesting one for a minute by minute, because of yeah. what it is about, how it is, what it both the, yeah. why it's there, but also its influences afterwards. Sure, yeah. hell's a, it sure as hell is an octopus. That's for sure. So, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I can talk about that one in detail, but not for not enough. Not, for not a minute, minute, not by minute, minute, minute by minute. No, no. Here he is in the uh, in the clown makeup again. Yeah, no, I, I, I yeah. I mean, for, for, for me, there's two. Uh, yeah, well, anyway, I'm gonna, I'm not gonna go down that road. There's so much yeah. I can say about it, but I will keep that for us another time. Uh, right. So at this point, then, as we come to the end of this particular minute, we have the two of them framed by the uh, window of from the studio onto the high street, and I would argue that this is the first point in the film where you realize that one of the elements of this film is going to be a, rom- a rom-com mm. right yeah i think visually the cue is right there in the way they move up close to each other and they are framed in the light from outside yeah. and it just feels because it's such an odd looking studio as well because it looks much more like they just converted someone's house it looks like a lounge or something with all the yeah. the, the, the mixing desk and everything just put it there in the middle yeah. And as they say, you're right. I, I like yeah. the idea that it's like a street, like regardless of the security factor and the other things we pointed out. I like mm-hmm. the idea that it's like it's the street side radio station where if you're outside walking around the street, you hear it on the like you just hear it, like it's out there. Yeah. Like that's that's fun to me. That's a fun idea of like a a, lo- a local radio station where you can either listen to it, which everyone seems to, or if you're just walking down the you know the boulevard mm. right there to like go shopping or whatever, you can hear like, oh, that's that's Debbie Newberry on the radio. There she is. Like that's, that's is, is that's that a thing in small towns in America? No idea. <laughs> no idea whatsoever. Fair because I mean, very, it seems very Hollywood to me. Yeah, <laughs> but, yeah, because yeah. well, yeah, this, this time period was also uh, Northern Exposure on TV, which yeah. had the same thing with. Uh, I think with, it with could have been a thing in more remote areas back, mm. maybe. Maybe not the late nineties, but the mm. late eighties into early nineties. I could see something it. rural. Yeah, it, yeah. You know, a small mountain town sure. or something could, like that. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because what they don't have, like for me, where would you I hear radio? It'd be inside the shopping mall. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. So I guess for them, it's the it's the high street because that's their mall, isn't it? They don't actually have a mall. Yeah. Cool. It, uh, you mentioned it's a wrong. I mean, yes. What I like, I mean. I being on this section of the show, I think is interesting because yes, we've gone from the darker moments to after we've done that. Now that it, it like the script and the direct, like it all seems to understand it too. It's like, okay, let's raise things back up now. Let's say like, despite the awkwardness of this scene, which we'll get to in the next clip also, I I like that. It's, it, it's finding a way to like perk itself back up again. It's like, let's, let's now, now let's get, let's get Martin back, you know, on his feet. Let's get him into a, he's still maybe a little unsteady as far as how to handle this, but like, there's some fun here. Let's get a different kind of chemistry going. 
let's get mm-hmm. John Cusack into a thing that he's very familiar with, which is awkward rom-coms. Yeah. Uh, like, let's do all that now. So. Yeah. 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 I think we'll smack days... him down again. <laughs> well, of course, of course, it's that kind of. I, I must admit, if I think if I had to sell this film to somebody now, I would probably be like, uh, "It's a, it, it's, a, it's a John Cusack rom com with guns," <laughs> as opposed to doing it the other way around. Yeah, I can see that. I'm not saying yeah. it would work. I'm just saying I think, given what he's most over, now we've Known had 20 for. years yeah. of him, yeah. and given all these shitty action films that he's done for Sony, you know. Yeah. The, the absolute dreck he's found himself in. I think. I think the yeah. only way I would be able to push this one is to kind of go. Well, actually, you know that thing you think you see him do. Well, you know, it's actually that plus. Yeah, I hear you. I've never had a trouble selling this movie on. Yeah, it's about a hitman <laughs> who goes to his high school reunion. That's just a really easy. That's, yeah, <laughs> that's no, my sales pitch as well. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. That one was was. was and and I'll usually up. try and slide Dan Aykroyd its name in there as well yes. just to to help seal the deal. Yeah, uh, yeah, no, I think I, right. I, I, I go more nuanced. Uh, I go like it's yeah, it's about a hitman goes to his house green. It's got John Cusack. It's it's kind of like if they made a sequel to say anything. <laughs> that's that's right. Like, <laughs> like, <laughs> which I always kind of view. It's like it's this weird. Like, it is sliding, that though. It's it's like a sliding doors version of that. Like what yeah, if he didn't get with yeah. her at the end and that's he just it. left and he became it. it because it's what what brings it together for me. It's the kickboxing. It's the fact that he, he does kickboxing. Yeah. Like, see, anything that's his whole aspiration is like, I want to be a great kickboxer. Now, this movie, he's yeah. like an accomplished kickboxer. Yeah, who absolutely. Happens to murder right. people for a living. The only difference is he doesn't have, um, uh, you know, he's got, uh, you know, he didn't, he didn't get the girl at the end. So yeah. Like yeah. yeah. No, that's absolutely it. That's absolutely it. He leaves that. He goes off into a eighties Vietnam War movie. <laughs> It's basically that kind of. That's the missing oh, middle chapter we don't have. We yeah, don't have the movie yeah. where he goes to Vietnam and becomes oh, yeah. a different person. Or wherever. He goes to Kuwait. Three Kings or something. Yeah. Oh. yeah, basically, that's the missing piece. I always, you know, Three Kings is such an underrated movie. People do not talk about it. I love it Three Kings. That is one of my favorites. A, yeah. Such a great movie. And that, again, I always joke that that is like the perfect origin story or arc for so many kinds of characters like to me sure. three kings is literally what the a-team remake should have been because <laughs> okay. you've got all the characters Clooney is hannibal I- ice cube is mr t right Wahlberg is face man i wonder if they and... ever thought of that as they were making that movie because that's it, I, it is I, pretty I... one it is pretty one-to-one you got spike jones in there as the, the, the yeah the yes yeah, murdoch like, yeah murdoch yeah like I wonder if they ever thought of that as they were making Three Kings. It's, it's I, very I obvious l- now as you say that yeah. out loud. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I remember sitting in the cinema watching it and loving it and also thinking, this has got a really weird tone. Is it meant to, you know? Um, but yeah, I, I, I can sort of see Cusack in that kind of thing and then or that kind of film then coming into this. I mean, did he, did he, he didn't actually do any war films, did he? Because like, like even Michael J. He's Fox did. He's Red Line for like a hot minute. Um, oh like, yeah, everyone's but, in of, like, like we're in yeah. Thriller, you know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. and, and and most people got cut out of it or cut down to like two scenes as well. I'm yeah. trying to think though. Has he done like a full on war movie? I don't think he, well back then I would have because because he looks because I could have seen him doing it as in he's convincing you know in a certain way. I could see. Him like, being I, I would be surprised if he was like in the auditions for Platoon because he's like the same yeah, age as like precisely. Sheen at that point. Like that precisely. Like, no, I don't think I don't see anything here. I don't think he's ever done so, like that. So yeah, so we're missing the thematic link. He didn't he never did it. He just skipped it. <laughs> well, 
Even even now he'd play like a general or something like that. But like, yeah, you know. that's true. I could yeah, I could see him doing that very definitely now. And you but, mentioned um, like shitty action movies or whatnot. Or like he's God. just like guy that sits around usually in those kind of films or you know another yeah. sniper. Something that does require him to run. He doesn't run really in movies. <laughs> There's one called the Numbers Station, and the only thing that like, was interesting about it is the fact that he clearly took it so he could have a holiday in England, because the whole thing is shot uh, in England, in I think it's uh, Norfolk, and in this old deserted base, and um, he's yeah, he's he's a hitman defending somebody, funnily enough, uh, yeah. and they get holed up in there, and it's just that's it, that's really all there is to it, and it's just so disappointing because you just watch it and there is just nothing to the film, bar an unusual looking location, and it is so cheap, so cheap. Um, but yeah, no, he didn't do it. He did. All... Oh yeah. God, you know what it is? I always forget he was in Conair. <laughs> Oh, that's right. Yeah, I mean, because that's the, that's uh, that's just after this. That's literally the film that comes out after *Ghost Point Blank*. Yeah. Oh, that's his moment of well, <laughs> on-screen action. Depends what we're talking about, but yes, I mean, like that's 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 his big. He he's he's given some big bullshit reasons as to why he took. I love Conair, by the way. I think yes, absolutely. He's great. It's so great. Um, great <laughs> he's given a lot of reasons as to like why he was in that movie. <laughs> it was very funny to me. He seems very... He seems like he wants to say everything, but the money was good. <laughs> he wants to give every but other But we reason. know that everyone was in that because of the money. That was the right, That was the point of the film, right? Kind of, wasn't it? Like, <laughs> I mean, I still love the fact that the screenwriter wrote that as a joke. And then there were... The, and then, um, uh, what do we call it? Uh... uh Oh, um, Bruckheimer was like, "Oh, great, let's make it." <laughs> you know, it was meant to be a parody, and 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 they just shot it as it was. It's like they just left all the funny things in, and actually, it it does kind of work. Um, but yeah, it's it's immense fun. Um, Charlie Brooker, long before he became properly famous, he used to have a website uh, called uh, TV Go Home, which was a parody of a week uh, weekly TV listings magazine. And the, the fun stuff was not in the kind of parodies of BBC and ITV and the mainstream stuff. It was when you turned the page for the satellite and cable channels. And they used to have on one of them um, the channel for stupid people. And all it was was Conair and then Conair. That's all it was. And that's like buried in one of the pages. But uh, I, I, much as I love the film, I, I kind of I got what he was getting at. But um, very Charlie Brooker moment there. Radio. Where are we at now? Do we think we've exhausted things? I feel like we're almost there. I think we call it, yeah. Let's call it. Okay, this was Minute 28 of the Gross Point Blank podcast, Debbie Radio, 79.5 FM, featuring your hosts, co-writers, and co-producers, Dev Soligar and myself, Hugh David. Today's guest was Aaron Neuwirth of Out Now with Aaron and Abe and a writer at We Live Entertainment. Aaron, where can we find you? You can find me, of course, talking on Out Now with Aaron and Abe with my co-host Abe. We talk about weekly movie releases. That's everywhere you can find podcasts. I write for We Live Entertainment, which is for my movie reviews. I write for a site called Why So Blue for Blu-ray and Criterion reviews. And I'm on Twitter at Aaron's PS4. And my personal blog, Codezeek.com. Everything I do ends up over there. Awesome. And you can find us on all good podcast players, as well as YouTube, X, a.k.a. Twitter, and Spotify as at Debbie Radio, as well as on our website, DebbieRadio.com. And for all of those, it is D-E-B-I radio.
finally, if you want to talk with us, you can also find us on the Facebook listeners group, Debbie Radio 79.5 FM Fan Club. Very old school, very old school idea, but hey, it is for Facebook. So thanks for listening. See you next episode. Sure was clear that all of this was new. Concentrating hard like a little girl smoking for the first time. It wasn't a moment It was a feeling